understand that you can have a life event that changes your money, or you can have a money event that changes your life. But if you have a big enough change, even in life or in money, the other is going to happen. Mm-hmm. They're connected. You can not like that all you want, but that's the way it goes. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. Welcome back to the Most Hated F Word podcast and welcome for new listeners. My name is Sean Masick. I'm the host of the Most Hated F Word podcast where we seek to explore the intersection of our mind, our money, and what matters most so that we can create a thriving, healthy, and flourishing relationship with money and create and live our most richest life possible. Before we get into this wonderful episode with Susan Bradley, If you have been enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you could head over to Apple Podcast and leave a review. Also, if you find the podcast valuable, please share your favorite episode with a family, friend, or colleague. On today's show, we have Susan Bradley, co-founder of the Sudden Money Institute. Join us as we dive into the world of financial transitions. Susan's 20-year journey has been dedicated to helping individuals navigate the financial changes that come with life's transitions. Her motto, which I really enjoy, when life changes, money changes, and when money changes, life changes. Susan has developed processes and tools to help people understand the impact and sudden changes in their financial lives. And these changes aren't always those big grandiose changes. Our life is full of changes, and often we don't notice these changes, yet their impacts last a lifetime. During this episode, Susan shares her expertise on navigating financial transitions and how taking a deeper look at change can help us understand ourselves and our money stories on a deeper and richer level. We discuss her four stages of financial change and how we can apply them to our lives. You'll learn why it's important to recognize the change in our lives and pay special attention to how it impacts our financial lives and the importance of thoroughly understanding how to navigate these inevitable financial transitions. I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Susan Bradley. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. It's great to be here. I was excited to have you before we started pre-talking, and then we pretty much did a whole episode without recording, and now I'm even more excited. We talked about Bruce Springsteen, change, and so many things, but I'm glad to be recording now. Susan, I really enjoyed looking at your online profile, your work, and preparing for today. And I think Your work speaks to me just where I am experiencing change in my life. And I don't think I'm the only one experiencing or 
coming to change. Whether we're experiencing it or not is a different story, and we'll get to that. But before we get into what you're doing right now, I thought we would jump back to the mid-90s. I understand you were an early CFP in the early or mid-90s, and there was a specific lunch meeting that you had with this lawyer representing a class action lawsuit. What significance, if anything at all, did this lunch meeting have on how you viewed financial planning and how clients experience change within the traditional financial planning setting? Yeah, thanks for that question. It it was a life-changing event, that lunch. It was supposed to be, did I want to go out to dinner with this guy and let's have lunch first? So it wasn't set up as a professional meeting, but he was telling me about this class action lawsuit, women that were part of a lawsuit for medical problems with breast implants. He was kind of telling me how great the law firm was and his business because they changed lives. And there were 300 some women, I think it was 325, all over the country. And they were able to make these life altering decisions because of the money that would be coming down the road. Just that in itself is red flag city for a financial planner, Mm -hmm. making life-changing decisions for something that hasn't happened yet, right? So then he was telling me stories about someone who could get divorced because they could finally live on their own, or they were buying homes that they would eventually pay off, or they were making commitments to other people. And so I said, like, just hold on a second. You know, this is, the money is not that much. The amount was I think it was like 150,000 to a million, which isn't nothing, but it's not necessarily something that you can live on for the rest of your life. So there was a lot of red flagging going on. And I explained that, you know, I was working in financial literacy as well as a CFP with a practice. And I'm concerned about the women he's talking about. I don't need to know them to know that they're, some of them are going to be in trouble. And so we negotiated that I would write a white paper for his law firm, sort of woman-to-woman financial literacy. He agreed. We got the fee. We got started. And about a month later, the company went into bankruptcy. So he called me and said, uh, the deal's off because of the bankruptcy. And I said, oh, my gosh, this is my worst fear. Many of those women are going to go into bankruptcy, too. And he said, oh, don't worry about that. We handle bankruptcy. The callousness behind that, the lack of humanity behind that just changed my life. So I never met any of these women, but they were in my head and in my heart. And there was no way to get good information. And I was looking back then to provide them with financial literacy, long-term versus short-term, consequences of inflation, taxes, spending, that kind of thing, mutual funds versus, you know, something else, real basic stuff. Turns out when I look back on that time, Sean, it was really about transition literacy. It was how to manage change and money, life change and money. And even in situations like this, this was a medical settlement they were looking for. So there was potentially some, some strong medical costs in their future that maybe they needed to set money aside for that. And who talks about that, you know? So it had all kinds of problems. And the real heads up was when I was writing the white paper in the beginning, I thought this is a cinch because we as a profession must have been thinking about this. I just hadn't been trained in it. 
So I looked for training and I knew a lot of the academics. I was active nationally in the profession since the early 80s. So I I had good contacts and nobody had anything except for an annuity company that sold annuities, people that were getting legal settlements. And that wasn't what I was looking for. So I stumbled on an important gap in the profession of financial planning that I I love so much, I still do, but we had a giant hole to me in the middle of our profession. We were not seeing the forest through the trees. Success was measured by, was the money still intact kind of thing? You know, if there was money and they came to you, regardless of the situation that disrupted their life, if you kept the money going, it was successful and there was little problem with compliance. If the money didn't work out, it was usually the client's fault. The client didn't follow the advice. So it was a messy space. What a good explanation and story. And it highlights so many important areas. Before we get into those important areas, did he get the dinner? (laughs) No. I didn't think so. (laughs) (laughs) That was a clear no. Yeah, I I thought But I got the deal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it changed my life professionally and personally to to have gone on this journey. Is that, you know, that was 25 years ago. This journey is not over. I am still learning all the time. The tone you carry, the way you deliver your message is, it sounds incredibly full of conviction, but yet you can hear your curiosity to continue to learn and evolve and I guess change. So I, I just really appreciate it. Like just how you said that story. You're part of this system that, like you explained, we want to keep the money. We just want to keep the money. Based on your lived experiences up to that point, why were you able to receive that information and notice that there is an extremely, to use your words, big gap in our whole profession that's missing this transition part? And I say that again, because we're all like, we're usually part of systems and we operate what the system is doing. There's no training around this transition. There's nothing really except for some of this annuity company. What do you think allowed you to actually just recognize this to what it sounds like in your eyes was a glaring big hole? I I don't know specifically, but as I mentioned, I was interested in financial literacy. I was a financial planner and, and I had been a financial planner at that time for, I started in the early 80s, that was 95, I think. So, you know, a considerable time. And I was teaching a money camp for kids at a a local resort. I live in the the Palm Beach area. So, you know, I was working with young people. I was working with women. And this particular situation red flagged me because he was talking about what I call future spending. And, you know, money's coming in, so I might as well spend it now kind of thing. And I had seen people create all kinds of regret around that previously. So I recognized the problem. What I didn't recognize is the human shift when people are, we would now say those women were in the anticipation stage of an event that had no guarantee for a date or an amount, but they were changing their behavior, their commitments, their responsibilities and routines in life because of this future event. And we now, in that we've learned so much over the years, we now know how to recognize that and how to set people up 
so that they minimize that tendency to future spend. It's fine to anticipate and you should, and there are some really productive things to do. So I saw that future spending, and you could have said to a financial planner at any time, future spending, explain it like I just did. That's not cool. That's not rocket science that that's a problem. It's just that there's this ramification, this ripple effect in these women's lives for having done that, that might not be recoverable. Mm. And in fact, they did go into bankruptcy, many of them. Mm. He was very complimentary about the generosity of the firm's ability to manage their, their bankruptcy. And to him, that was a solution. That was just the beginning of a whole other problem, as far as I was concerned. So I think these women, if in fact they did have medical problems because of their, their surgeries, now they had financial problems and they probably had family problems, maybe career problems. They were in a hot mess. Yeah, it's interesting. As you say, he thought it was, a, he had a solution, I guess, from the lens of his firm's <laughs> Revenue perspective, yes, he had a solution, but there's an underlying deeper problem that that is persisting. And it makes me think of ripple effect, to use the words. I can see that, that the ripple effect happens as like these, these women are going into bankruptcy. It makes me think of a quote that I wrote down from your TED Talk that I thought you so eloquently said, change can happen quickly, transitions take years, yet their impacts transform lives. And so... This ripple effect, I think, is what you're talking about with the impact continues to impact their lives. Can you just expand on that that quote that you said around change happens quickly, transitions take years, yet their impacts transform our lives? Yeah. And now that you're reminding me I said that, I'm glad I said it because it really does cover some territory that's hard to see. We think of, particularly in the financial planning world, we think of these major change events or life pivots, divorce and widowhood and retirement and inheritance and changing career and all of that. Those are events that you can put a date to and you can put some financial shifting assets, income, responsibilities, and you can put them into software and you can manage a lot of that in terms of spreadsheets and long-term projections. So that's, a, that's change. But what happens in the human condition and all through nature, you'll find something similar in physics, in chemistry, in probably in cosmology. I don't know anything about it, but I'm sure it's there. But you'll find it in botany. You'll find it in the seasons. That, that there is a change and then there's an adaptation or an adjustment time before the change is really settled. And what's happening is the entity, in this case, human beings, we're being invited and actually required to shift with the change. When these change events happen, it's interesting. Some people want to hold on. They don't want to change. Or people will want to go back to the way life was. Turns out in my observation, and there's enough science in, in other disciplines besides financial planning to justify the, the belief that this is how life moves forward. It's called evolution. So there's a change event that is finite. There are some initial adjustments. I think of it sometimes like pieces of a puzzle that got 
separated and you have to reassemble the the puzzle that is one's life. And then you have to adapt. What does it mean to me? Relationships, self-esteem, how I think where I'm going to be. Each time these events happen, there is an invitation and to some degree a requirement to adjust and adapt. Life is not the same after Mm -hmm. these events. Sometimes it's very definite. You're a married person. You're a non-married person working here and now you're working there. But then who is that person that has gone through that? Harvard did some really interesting work on this around about the same time as I started the Sudden Money Institute in 2000. And they were looking at change management within the corporate structure. So companies would hire these brilliant people to help them with reorganizing their global companies. And they had models for doing that. And they were taking a look at it and they realized that their success rate was pretty bad. It was about a 70% failure rate for these models. So something wasn't working. So let's take a look at it. What they did is they separated two types of change, technical change and adaptive change. Technical, in our word, think of like the software and all the efficiencies that are built into the planning process. Adaptive is the human side. There, you can put AI and things into that, but you still have to personalize it. it. It's interior, exterior. You could think of it that way. And that's a huge body of work, technical versus adaptive change. Financial planning is an adaptive change model. You can look at a situation, you're in the business, if somebody came to you and gave you their specs, how old I am, what I need to have happen, this is my income, my assets and all that. While they're explaining their story, you can go through your head and you know that person's okay or they're not. They have a big problem, they have a small problem. You can, you just do it. I still do it and I sold my practice 16 years ago. I feel like I'm invading people's personal space, but when they start to talk to me, I can do that. That's technical, but how they feel and how they're sleeping, what needs to be protected in their life while all this stuff is moving around? Who are the stakeholders? What are the choices that they see they should make or want to make? There are some huge, profound conversations to be had, but they're on the adaptive side. Usually in financial planning, you're asking personal questions so that you can fill in the blanks on the technical side and be compliance correct and keep the money and the income going properly. There is a whole other motivation on the adaptive side. That adaptive side, you talk at the end, you end here, there's, there's a whole other motivation. I'm hearing that it requires us to notice a change so that we can experience the adaptive side. And what I mean by that is like, if we're completely unaware that there's this adaptive side to change, we just, whether we're the client or the advisor, we just focus on the technical side. Because in a way that's, I wouldn't say easy, the most obvious thing to look at. Yeah. But there's this whole underbelly that speaks to that human condition that you spoke about before. How have you experienced, whether it's advisors or individuals going through these changes, what have you noticed occurs to them when they notice that there's this whole other adaptive side to change that perhaps they may have been unaware of or just avoided. But what what do you see when they decide to, I guess, surrender to, I'm experiencing this as a human? 
Ah, that's, that's beautifully uh, said there. Thank you. I think that most of us, the vast majority would be my guess, feel that something is different. You don't feel quite like yourself, but there isn't a word or phrase that normalizes how you're feeling. You just know that it's kind of like the season has changed, but you haven't changed. We were talking about having the right clothing for the right weather. You haven't made that full adjustment, but this is bigger. This is your life. And it's unsettling to be in this gap of certainty, this time of awkward uncertainty, that in our society, it's kind of not cool. You're supposed to be on your track, stay on your track. And if you get off your track, get right back on. You know, otherwise you're deficient somehow. And it might not even be people around you that say it. It's a, it's a sense of, of shame. I always knew what I'm doing, what I was doing, and now I don't. It's unsettling. So I think people feel it. I think financial planners tend to ignore it because they're not trained for it. They want to protect people from making regrettable choices. And they want to give them the best advice based on all the technical parts there and and the way they understand them. I see financial planners as, in general, being really nice, caring, well-trained people on the technical side. So we're not talking about predatory professionals here. But if you're not trained in it and it is emotional or it is something other than objective, it's this subjective space, you don't want to mess up. You don't want to be wrong. It's an important time. You recognize that. And maybe it's better not to go there. Or maybe you were at a conference or a workshop and you found two questions or a process that you, you know, like a money story process, which is profoundly important, but might not be good in that space at that time. So your tools don't seem to be appropriate. And you're used to being an expert. And when you get on to this human side, particularly when when life is shifting like this, you're not supposed to be the expert. You're supposed to be more the thinking partner or a guide. You're holding a safe space. When I map out the stages of change, there are four stages of transition or financial transition stage. When I was doing that years ago, I would draw a circle and I would name that circle. And the reason that I did the circle I do like round more than than square, but what I was thinking of and the way I'm talking about it now, I don't know if anybody can see it, but I'm holding my arms out like I'm hugging a tree. I'm creating. So you're creating this safe space for your client to be in, to experience possibilities without harm. So you're setting some safe, like a, like a parent might. You're allowing the child to do whatever they want to do and experiment and make mistakes, but not do long-term harm. Like the women we talked about, Mm -hmm. in that situation, I'm sure many of them had long-term or maybe even lifelong harm from that experience because of commitments they made and they couldn't make and, and all that. And maybe they had medical problems that weren't really covered. So that was really nasty. But for The average client, divorce, widow, retirement, they have years. We find from the ending stage when it's change, that that's definable, that takes about a year. This 
next stage, we call it passage, usually takes, I would imagine that it's around five years. That's my experience. I've read different assumptions and, and just based on doing it for so long, five years seems to be more than the average. So this holding safe space for someone isn't quick and it doesn't have a linear sequential process to it. It has a very human organic. The book on life happens in the transitions, calls it the messy middle. And it's a time when society says you're supposed to be back on track and expedite, just get it done, and then you'll get on to the next. I think the invitation in nature is to experience change and to settle into it. It's okay not to know the answers. That time will come. So a guide is someone who's helping people discover during that time, keeping safe and discovery and then making some pretty cool, maybe new choices. So much good stuff there. It just, it sounds like this is a doing with you, not for you, especially that the messy middle you described. And it makes me think that the transition expert or the planner really needs to be comfortable with themselves and experiencing their own change to say that thing that you just said, it's okay not to know. Because I feel like sometimes as professionals, we hold this badge of honor that I know everything. And if I don't, I'm weak or I'm not good enough. And I think there's deep level of strength to be able to say, it's okay. I don't know, but we'll get through this and, you know, doing with the person. Absolutely. In fact, I think it's a relief Mm -hmm. for advisors to know that it's okay. There is a great body of work by Dr. Carol Dweck called The Power of Yet, Y-E-T, Yet. To say to somebody, it's okay not to, you just don't know yet. We're figuring this out. It's not now. There is immediate relief that comes for most of us, and that's her research from Stanford and I think Harvard, on just instead of a child or an adult failing an exam, you say they just haven't passed yet. It's so much more open-ended and optimistic. And when you don't really know what you want to do next, and time is ticking, days and seasons and years are going by, and people around you expect you to know, it's really tough. But if there's this one person in your life who's your financial transition as your guide, who's giving you permission to not know and that you're not deficient or wrong and giving you process to know as well. That's, that's the one thing we had to figure out. It's you can do all kinds of decision-making models and expectation models, but how do you actually join in with a client and help them in this interior discovery space without being a therapist it's therapeutic but not therapy without being fully trained in behavioral finance as your doctorate or a phd whatever what happens when you give somebody a process and they say like i'm not doing that i don't want to do that so when you get pushback and you have to understand that's part of the process it's okay but it really takes experience. And that's why we have a community where people come together. I just got off the Friday huddle and people are talking about, I was doing this with a client and this worked or didn't work. And 
you know, so it's a free space. You don't have to come and brag about how you saved a client, you know, or made a lot of money. It's a place to just be real. As you've witnessed advisors coming in through their own change and transition, doing the certification through this Sudden Money Institute, what have you noticed while all change we experience is different, but have there been observations that you noticed that people experience that helps them get through the messy middle in order to kind of get to that other side so they can show up the Friday huddle call and not just be trying to boost their their own uh, ego, I guess I'll say. In our world, it's uh, people that are already in financial planning. We, you know, they have at least five years of experience. Most of them are pretty well trained in the disciplines that they're going for. And they're, like I said, they're they're good human beings and they mm-hmm. care about their clients. And even if they're doing our process for our transition work for a long time, when they hit their own transitions, it's surprising. Mm-hmm. It's really surprising. And when they anchor in and they take a look at it, I call it taking your own medicine. The experience is validating, normalizing, giving them some words to use to explain how they feel, maybe to their spouse or maybe to their clients. It gives them a real eye-opener on what clients were trying to tell them. We teach now a masterclass for financial planners on transitions, just because I think we as planners are so focused on being guides and being good at what we do that when we hit these times, there's really no one around to take care of us like we take care of clients. So I've been doing this masterclass and it's really interesting to see a, a room of 50 or 100 people and the emotional reactions that come up because we do a lot of, you know, breakouts. So you're talking to a couple people and the emotions are pretty strong. There have been tears from people that I would never have. I, I didn't know this until I just started it as a give back this, this year. But to be told that it's okay to not even know your own way with this, that this is human. I think in a way we're kind of creating a new profession, you know? I would hope, because I'm going to, of course, pass this on. I'm not going to be here forever, don't want to be. But I think it's really an important thing that we humans have guides to help us through these big pivot points. I don't think they're going away. I think the velocity is only increasing of change. The intense, look at the pandemic. That's a, the pandemic is fitting our transition model perfectly right now. We modeled it out in March of 2020, what we thought would be happening. The deeper the change, the longer the stages are. So pandemic was collective, really life-altering in ways we couldn't have imagined. So it's going to be with us and make changes we can't even see yet. We're not even out of the ending second stage yet. Right. I mean, you you talked about many stages last for the five years are the impact of the change. I I wanted to clarify, what what are the four stages? I had passage, I believe messy middle. Is that a stage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the same passage and messy middle, just different names. Well, we started with anticipation stage because it's very much in the planning profession. People plan for these events, right? Mm -hmm. The inevitable loss of a spouse or retirement. 
So we have an anticipation stage. It doesn't show up so much in the corporate world of coaching and transitions, but planning, we have that. And then we have an ending stage. And the ending stage is when the anticipated event actually happens. There's the divorce is settled. There's a, an agreement. And, and then there's a classic technical financial planning is putting the pieces back together, renaming assets, shifting accounts, creating cash flow where there wasn't or stopping insurance. All that is happening in the ending stage. And that could take a year, maybe two, if there's a lot of complexity. And then there's kind of an overlap between all these stages too, which is an interesting thing. Then we go into this adaptive adjustment time. I call it, or we call it passage. Bruce Feiler calls it in his book, Messy Middle. Bill Bridges, whose work we based this on over 20 years ago, called it a new normal. I don't see it as new normal. I see it as adjustment adaptive. So we say passage. And that is the longest stage. That's the one that's five years. With the pandemic, it'll probably be longer than that for us to really be able to see back. And then the final stage is new normal. That's when you're no longer identifying as a widow or I used to work here or I lived like this before I inherited money. So you're really in this next stage. You know, when we look at these models of change, I can hear some of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey in there as well. And I think these models are so helpful as we navigate changes. I would like to specifically talk about the Sudden Money Institute, the way you created over 20 years ago. I'm curious about, and and I mean, the underbelly of many, much of this conversation has, is the answer probably to this question, but I thought it was, I don't know if you call it a tagline, your slogan of when life changes, money changes, and when money changes, life changes. Can you elaborate on that? I just thought it was so succinct and well said. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think I mentioned earlier that I have been bushwhacking my th- my way through all of this. And I I really feel like that's a fairly honest because I, I like being out in nature and hiking. So I get bushwhacking when I say it. I'm off the path. I'm trying to figure it out. I thought we were talking about a financial literacy. Then I figured out it was transition literacy. I thought we were talking about the event, the the sudden financial change. That's where sudden money came from. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I wasn't originally using that term. It was my publisher. It's very provocative. It's easy to remember. And it really mischaracterizes our work, unfortunately. But at the time, you know, you do the woman's power pose on the cover. They have that name and (laughs) it all goes on. So when we were really looking at it, what were we doing? And I didn't want an institute. That wasn't my motivation. I needed to get this planning model for these life changes out of my head. I needed to get it done. It was like, here it is, guys. You know, I'm going to figure it out from here. You do the same. And my colleagues were the ones that were pushing the the institute. And so we created something. I thought it was a collaborative work that we were going to do. And they really wanted me to do the work and give it to them. So it kind of shifted around from what I thought. And I kept getting pushed into explaining what we were doing. It turns out what we were looking at 
was a financial change model. It wasn't a financial planning model. Financial change model would be a more of a balcony where the financial planning would be part of it. And then I discovered Bill Bridges' work. He was ahead of everybody. And he gave me the transition speak. We didn't, we didn't use transitions in the beginning. And then when you get a new lens like that, and that's the lens I'm trying to give to the financial planners too, when you put on that lens, it's like putting goggles on if you're snorkeling. All of a sudden, you can see the water mm-hmm. you're swimming in. You can see the details of the coral or the fish. And that's what Bridges' work did for me. So then we had to go back and say, what does that mean? And he had three stages. We had four stages like that. But to understand that you can have a life event that changes your money, or you can have a money event that changes your life. But if you have a big enough change, even in life or in money, the other is going to happen. Mm-hmm. They're connected. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can not like that all you want, but that's the way it goes. Yeah, that interconnectedness of money and life, it makes me think of what we were talking about before we started recording is that, I guess, and I really want to preface as well, I think financial advisors and planners are good people. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. the training has put us where we are. And with that being said, it seems to me that the system that we all were participating in tended to lean us towards this idea that when there's change happening, we look at the money. And what your wonderful institute is looking is is more the human side. And before we start recording, I like how you said, lives in motion, not money in motion. Yeah. Attitude uh, probably won't surprise you in the earlier days of this and, and still now. People, advisors will say to me, just send me the client. I'll take care of, like, I already know how to do this. And I realized pretty quickly that they're they're missing Pretty big piece here. But planning point of view and from a business, sustainable business, particularly if you're AUM, having more assets under management means more revenue and that you know how to live well with more revenue and you hire people and take care of your clients. So everybody goes for money in motion. And that's how they would carry that. When I said sudden money mischaracterized us, that's what it looked like. And that's why we never called ourselves sudden money advisors. It kind of had a feel of ambulance chasing of just, you know, oh, that person's down and look, they have some money. Mm-hmm. They're, no one would say they're vulnerable and it's easy money, but that really was implied. And it's unsettling to, to really admit that about our profession. So what I explain to people now or try is that if you take care of a life in motion, which undoubtedly is more complex, is more subjective, You'll get all the money in motion you want. It's natural for someone to want the person they trust with their life in motion to also manage the money in motion. Mm -hmm. When people are going through these experiences, and you may have had some of it yourself, we all do, it's, it's like your trust starts to go down. And it's not just trust in other people, it's trust in yourself. How am I going to give you this responsibility in my life if I don't even know what I want? or I don't even know who I am right now. Confidence, trust, um, the bond, it's fragile during mm-hmm. that time. This is the primary reason people hire planners. They say 70%. I would guess it's higher. But it's also the primary reason planners are fired. It's fragile. Yeah. 
I mean, I just can see that if we start with that lens of lives in motion, we have the ability to recognize and see there might be some stress or there might be some uncertainty. And as an advisor or whomever the professional is, just to say that I see you, I see, you know, I see that discomfort. I think to your point, then the money in motion comes, but that's that level of trust, I think, is essential when we embrace the humanity of all of this. Yeah, it is. And we help, we help create the environment for people to shift their relationship with money. Mm -hmm. Now that mm -hmm. their life has changed, some things may be important, other things may not. Some things may be possible. There's a letting go and there's a newness that comes in and there's a protection value. All of that's happening. And we use quadrant conversations sometimes to help people speak it out with us and put it into a four-block quadrant that helps them see they just said this, now they see it, and it's it's structured so that it it goes in a helpful direction, but it doesn't have any predictive result. It's the person. But when you're doing that, this life in motion starts to People, if they settle into the fact that they have new choices, they don't know all of them yet, that they're still figuring it out. It's like being on a welcomed adventure versus being lost in the wilderness and just want to find your way home. It's a very different experience for clients. And how satisfying for a professional. Mm. To have those levels of connection, yeah. I just have so much respect for you as you you told you tell your story about going off in your words the beaten path and bushwhacking and really i mean over 20 years ago you started on this journey and uh, i can imagine the amount of comfort and security you've helped give advisors and clients throughout the last 20 years is enormous when you look back on the last 20 25 years if there's anything at all that you're you're proud of that Susan did that surprised you? Can you think of anything? <laughs> huh. Interesting question. Yeah. What I'm proud of is the community that we built. The people that have been attracted who have helped build this. This isn't all me by myself. I am frequently in awe of our the, the people that show up and that, that find this conversation important. And they are truly making a difference. I have some gifts that make it easy for me to do parts of this, but I, I don't have the whole package. I can hear a repeated situation and figure out a way to address it and write up a protocol and test it out with different faculty members on the science side of it and come up with something new and cool and whiz bang. That's good. And I've done that a lot. But it's the person that's using that. And it's their consciousness. It's their heart. It's them. And in a community of people like kind, you sort of illuminate that in each other. And so I get to be part of that. That's what's really cool. The rest of it is important details, but I don't own them all. When you said you get to illuminate that in others, I just, yeah, that to me is leadership. So congrats. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I have a question that I ask everybody on the podcast and we have a few minutes here. Let's say now you're transitioning to end of life. 
and you're on a patio anywhere in the world that brings you peace. You're sitting on this, sorry, not patio, porch, your front porch, looking out on, maybe it's the Florida ocean, maybe it's the Edmonton frozen river, <laughs> whatever brings you peace. And you decide to take out your notebook and write a letter to your children's children on what you learned about having a healthy and happy relationship with money. What would be a theme to that letter? I would hope that money is your friend. And I would hope that you go through life with a healthy relationship with this energy we call money. And that when you're scared, you you know kind of how to reset yourself. When you're overexcited, you know how to get back to balance. Just like any friendship, it needs some maintenance as you go along. But money will be with you for your life. So make friends with it. And when life is changing, tend to the money, but tend to yourself as well. Because you're the other side of the relationship. Friendship is two ways. Very well said. Thank you so much. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation. For listeners who want to find out more about yourself, the Sudden Money Institute, where would you point them towards? Easiest thing to remember, Sean, would be suddenmoney.com, our website. We are on LinkedIn and the, the social media. Our training division of Sudden Money is called the Financial Transitionist Institute. And Sudden Money can point you, you there as well. A transitionist is one who is trained and skilled in managing change. We take that seriously. So we are financial transitionists. But most people can't spell it. So go to suddenmoney.com. <laughs> well, thank you. I feel like I am. Or in the transitioning to ending this because I keep wanting to talk, but time is here. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you, Sean. And I applaud your work as well. You're part of the change that we're all lucky enough to be experiencing. Thank you for inviting me to be with you today. Well, thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Susan as much as I did. I highly recommend to look her up online and see the wonderful work she is doing. If you have enjoyed this podcast, which if you're still listening, perhaps you did, I would love it if you could share this episode with a friend or head over to Apple Podcast and leave a review. It greatly helps bring wonderful guests onto the show like Susan. Until next week, take care. I'm on a mountain without a top My wealth is measured and now I spend my time But now I write a freedom story With every breath inhaled Money is not the boat of life It's just the wind in the sea